Hi, my name is Stephen Mansfield, and this is your 15. Our topic for this 15 is what are the principles, or we might call them the building blocks, of biblical prosperity. In an earlier 15, we talked about what biblical prosperity is. We redefined it from some of the selfishness and the greed that has sort of shaped this idea, bringing a lot of criticism to Christians. Um, but now I want to talk about what are the building blocks of biblical prosperity. Uh, it's important that we recall that uh, from the very beginning of God's dealing with man, uh, he instituted covenants. He called man to make agreements with him. And always at God's instigation, living in covenant with God led to material prosperity. It's what God said he wanted to do. I read in the other 15 that the Lord said, if you keep covenant with me, I'll bless you coming in. I'll bless you going out. I'll bless your fields, your cattle, your children, your wife. I'll bless you. I'll give you abundance. And so the first principle, if we're going to have a list of principles, the first principle of biblical prosperity is that you live in covenant with God. Now, clearly the Old Testament covenants, the covenants we have revealed in the Old Testament, uh, are, are, are covenants that were in anticipation of the covenants, uh, the covenant that's cut ultimately in Jesus Christ. So the way that you enter into covenant with God or you, you become, you step into the new covenant is that you believe in Jesus Christ. You, you believe he's the son of God. You believe he died for the sins of the world. He died for your sins. You, you, you want to repent of your sins and ask him to live, your, live in you, uh, take up residence in you. Uh, you. You want him to be Lord over your life. Uh, you, you want to live the resurrection life that he, he died and was raised again to purchase for you. That's the beginning of the new covenant. And so the beginning of prosperity uh, is that you live in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, one of the mistakes people have made in our generation is they've taken truths from the Bible and tried to live them apart from God and apart from Jesus and apart from his other biblical truths. Well, the Bible is not just a list of motivational principles. Uh, the Bible is not just a, a bunch of principles of business success or economic prosperity. Uh, the, the Bible is a description of God's will in the earth and, and how man can be part of it and be related to God as he fulfills God's will in the earth. And Prosperity is part of that. So the first step for you, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, or if you, if you haven't committed your life to Jesus, is that you step into the new covenant by believing in Jesus Christ. And, and if you're a Christian, and some of what I'm saying is new to you, then you need to understand that, that by, by your belief in Jesus Christ and by you being born again, you're already in the new covenant. And that new covenant promise includes, amongst many other things, it's not the only thing, you know, Christianity is not just an economic theory, or, or even a promise of economic blessing alone. Uh, but when you step into the new covenant, part of what's promised to you is that you will prosper, that you'll have your needs met according to God's riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The second thing that I think is important for us to understand is not just that prosperity is covenantal, which is true and powerful and important, and by the way, God's idea, but also that we prosper as we obey him, as we align with his word, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, one of the great passages says, This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Now that was the old King James language that I quoted there. What does it mean? Uh, you'll, you should constantly be speaking those scriptures. You should constantly be meditating on them. And the goal of that is so that you'll actually do them. And if you do them, you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Uh, the Bible is uh, the revelation of God's will. 
And that revelation is to be obeyed. That revelation is to be lived out. Uh, and if you obey the Lord, if you do what he tells you to do, um, then not only will you not do the things that lead to destruction and, uh, and, and lead to a loss of prosperity, but you'll put in motion in your life the things that do lead to prosperity. For example, um, this is a small example, but it's, it's certainly one we want to think about. One of the most expensive things that most people go through is a divorce. Now, I'm not saying that becoming a Christian instantly frees you from the possibility of divorce, but if you'll live out God's principles, God's truth, walk in God's spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to, to invade your home, so to speak, and make your home a loving place, and if you'll love your spouse as Jesus loves the church, speaking to you men, and, and, um, and, and live a righteous marriage, you're likely, to avoid, you're likely to avoid a divorce. Well, this is an example of how obeying God keeps us from some of the things that, that lead to destruction. Um, if you're obeying the scriptures, uh, you're likely uh, not to, you certainly won't have a, a besetting alcohol problem, something that just dominates you and destroys your life. You won't be giving yourself to porn addictions. You won't be, you know, you understand what I'm saying. You also won't be buying, you know, 50 cars because your ego uh, needs that to feel affirmed because you'll have other dynamics from the Holy Spirit and from a relationship with Jesus working in your life. Not trying to claim that Christianity is perfect, that all Christians are perfect, uh, but I am saying that when you obey the scriptures, you are protected and kept from the things that destroy you, spirit, soul, and body, and you are encouraged into things and drawn towards the things uh, that lead to a prosperity at every level, including the material. And this is an important thing for you to understand. It's part of the covenant. Remember in the old covenants, when God made a covenant with people, he said, I'm going to do this for you, you do this for me, what I require of you is that you obey me. Well, the obedience is no less a factor in the new covenant and our relationship with Jesus Christ, but it is, uh, it is actually empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are enabled by God uh, to be able to obey him. We have, we have grace to accomplish that obedience that we didn't have in the old covenant because the Spirit of God is living on the inside of us. And, and the, the third principle then, number one being covenant, number two being obedience, uh, the third principle then uh, would have to be a life of radical generosity. Uh, the, if the New Testament teaches anything about money, it teaches that we who prosper in Jesus ought to be radically generous. We should give ourselves on behalf of the poor. We should care for one another. The New Testament church starts in Jerusalem just after the day of Pentecost uh, where people are share, having all their goods in common, opening their homes to people who have come for the for the day of Pentecost from other parts of the Roman Empire. So a material sharing and having all things in common is, is right there in the foundation of the church. Throughout the book of Acts and through the early part of church history, you see people taking up offerings for the poor and, and helping portions of the country and the church that have endured earthquakes and famines and all of that kind of thing. In fact, radical generosity is part of the great heritage of the church. It was the church in the Middle Ages that started hospitals, started universities, started orphanages, started uh, institutions to care for the mentally infirm. Caring for people in society, giving money, uh, being radical and addressing social ills with the wealth that God gives, all that's been part of the heritage of the church. So in the New Testament, uh, we are absolutely called to a life of generosity because it reflects the character of Jesus because it's the loving thing to do, uh, because it makes a difference in people's lives, uh, because that's why we were given the wealth to begin with. And so this is, this is part of the key. Now, what, what sometimes disturbs people uh, is that they want folks to give things to the poor and the needy and not expect anything in return. 
Well, I don't know of anybody who gives something to the poor and expects something in return from the poor. That, that would be illegitimate. But there's no question that God says, uh, if you'll care for the poor, I'll take care of you. He who lends to the poor, he who gives to the poor, lends to the Lord. The Lord so identifies himself with the poor that if we help the poor, God almost takes it as though we're lending something to him. And the Bible says he will repay and repay abundantly. So there's no testament, no, no question that what we're called to do in a new covenant orientation on wealth uh, is to be radically generous. Now, this begins with what Christians call the tithe. The word tithe literally means 10%. And in the Old Testament, this was, this was the, the beginning of giving. Now, there were other uh, forms of giving that were required of, Old, of the Old Testament people, the Jews in the Old Testament. And it, it ended up being around 17-18% when you put it all together. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, I believe that the tithe is, is reaffirmed, and so at a minimum, we ought to be giving 10% uh, to our church, those organizations that feed us, and that's the beginning of our giving. But then we ought to be giving to the poor, and we ought to be giving to the needy, and we ought to be doing special offerings for things. We ought to be helping people and just living a life of generosity, impacting our neighborhood through generosity, setting up foundations to help poor kids go to college, every kind of, of giving and generosity. And thank God for free societies where we can do that. Yes, we'll prosper, but, but more importantly, we'll please the heart of God. And that's really the goal. Biblical prosperity is about using your material wealth to please God so that he continues to entrust you with even greater wealth. And, and that's what God wants to accomplish. Now, uh, there are some other things we ought to know about a biblical view of prosperity. And that is that there are those things that cause poverty. And the Bible warns us about those things that cause poverty. Um, and, and I think they're as important as the promises of, uh, uh, the promises of, of, of God's blessing. Uh, for example, in Proverbs 24 and verse 3, it says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber, and want like an armed man. W what's the point there? Laziness. I mean, the Bible promises us prosperity, but it doesn't promise that we can just sit in our recliner, watch TV all day, uh, having sent in our tithes to the church, and God will take care of us. No, 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 we've got to work. Notice that those covenantal blessings that I, I have read in other uh, 15s and, and even here, they're blessings on work. When God uh, comes to the people of Israel and says, if you'll be my people, I'll be your God, and I will bless you, what does he bless? I'll bless your field. Well, that's a field they had to go out and plant and tend and, and then harvest. I'll bless your cattle. Well, they're working on those cattle. They're taking care of them and feeding them and cleaning them and you know, harvesting them in every way. Uh, I'll, I'll bless, uh, you know, even your wife's womb. Well, that doesn't mean there's going to be uh, another virgin birth. There, there's even there's even a physical effort there and, and a participation of our physical bodies. You understand that God is saying, I'm going to come in and I'm going to bless what you're already doing, bless what you engage in and what you work at in a, in a way that, that increases it. And so our investments are increased and our land is increased and the, the harvest that we have from the things that we're tending. And I believe this includes our businesses and ministries and projects and the, 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 our families and our homes and yards, all of that. I believe that God wants to bless all of it if, of course, we're not sitting back in laziness. And there are people, unfortunately, we even see this in the New Testament, who take the biblical message of prosperity um, and turn it into an excuse for laziness. Uh, turn it into an excuse to just, uh, God will meet my needs and I don't have to work. Uh, let me assure you that the Bible is uh, opposed to laziness. Uh, the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Uh, the Bible's tough on laziness, tough on what it calls the sluggard. 
Um, and that being industrious, having wisdom for business, working hard, um, this, is, this is praised in the Bible. Even, even for, for, for women who are uh, wives, just describing their lives as wives, Proverbs 31 is one of the great passages, and it talks about a woman being industrious and sewing and selling her wares and so on. Uh, so, so even in a, in a, in a, I know that, of course, women work in corporations and so on. I, I'm not in any way saying this is the only role for a woman, but even when the Bible is describing the life of a wife, whether she's a corporate leader or works outside of the home or not, even that part of her life is meant to be industrious and prosperity-inducing, and she's meant to work in a way that God can come in and sort of partner with her and bless her. So hard work is one of the ways that God blesses us, and he blesses us in the work of our hands, and laziness is something we ought to avoid. So we need to pay attention in the scriptures to the things that keep us from prosperity. There's one other thing, and it's a very important issue, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a harder issue for most people to get their minds around, but it's one of the essentials of a biblical view of prosperity, and that is that while we ought to love, uh, while we ought to use wealth and use money and use it wisely and use it for the glory of God and caring for the poor, there are great cautions in the Bible against loving wealth, against loving money, against uh, having big accounts or big silos uh, of grain. The, the Bible uses that agricultural analogy picture uh, and, and being proud because of that. Uh, if we're walking around feeling superior to others because of how much money's in the bank or how cool the car is that we drive or how many rooms the house is that we live in or how expensive our watch or our suit is, we are so far from the will of Jesus, so far from the heart of God about material possessions um, that poverty may very well begin to come into our lives because we're engaged in sin. The, the Bible wants us to see wealth as a tool. God wants us to see wealth as a tool. And things cost money. It costs money to live in this world. We, we, we certainly have to have physical abundance to, to live and to take care of others. But that's different from loving it. I can use this computer that's my monitor just off camera here, but not love it or take pride in the fact that I have it or walk around you know, holding it up for everybody to honor me with you know, or because of. And that's, that, I think, is the key. And in our society, we have a great deal of wealth as affirmation, wealth as fulfillment of soul, um, wealth as symbol of my self-worth. Uh, one of the great financial advisors even said once on the Oprah Winfrey show that your self-worth is your net worth. Well, that mentality uh, is very much opposite of how God sees us. We are not uh, privileged to own things because we are special. Uh, other than just simply that God loves us and takes care of us. So I urge you to consider what I'm saying. I urge you, if you're not a believer, to step into the new covenant and begin to learn the principles of prosperity and, of course, the principles of God's will for all of life. Live that wonderful relationship with him. If you're a Christian and you're just be really encountering a lot of these ideas of prosperity in a balanced way, uh, just in what I'm saying, uh, be, check yourself. Make sure that you haven't absorbed from our culture a love of wealth for its own sake and then begin to live out the biblical principles, the biblical steps of giving and tithing and, and, uh, and having a right heart, living in covenant with God, trusting God to provide, understanding the scriptures, obeying him, doing those things that he requires. And, and I believe you'll see God begin to prosper you in the sense that he takes care of you so you can in turn take care of others. And that's your 15.